So last week, we started a brand new series called The Life-Giving Church, and the reason we're calling it that is because our goal as a church is we want to be life-giving. Now, here's what life-giving means. Let's talk about what it doesn't mean. You, you have friends, and I have friends, that drain life out of you. You have, you, maybe you have a job. There are organizations that drain life from us. On the flip side, there are people that just breathe life. Like when you're with them, you walk away and you just think, man, it was so like life-giving. Like I just, I feel better after being with them. But then on the other side, I mean, you have people. And if you don't have people, maybe you are the draining people. Um, but we have people that just kind of suck the life out of us. And here's the thing. If you did a poll of people that you work with or people you go to school with, even if we did a poll here this morning, whether you have a church background or not, even if you're a follower of Jesus, almost all of us have experienced a church that is life-draining. We have experienced churches and had had spiritual experiences where it just sucked the life out of us. And we look back on those experiences and we're like, what, what was, how did I miss that? How did I just not see that? But then many of us, and maybe you've never had this experience, but many of us, have experienced the other side of that where it is just full of life. Where church isn't just something that's the next thing on your calendar, but is the thing that you just revolve your week around. The experience of being with other followers of Jesus, sitting around tables and being in community together is something you long for and can't wait to experience. See, I, I've been a follower of Jesus now for over 20 years, and I've been a pastor for about 20 years, and, and I've had experiences where it is just, it is sucking the life out of me. And, and church is the last thing I really want to go to. But I've also had experiences where I look back and I think, man, that was just so life-giving. But what is it that makes something life-giving? So there's three words that we're gonna look at today. And these three words are gonna be really, really important in the life of our church. And they're words that you see within Acts 2. The first word is the word endear. Now, this isn't a word that we use very often. You don't say, I want to endear myself to you. But yet, when we experience this, we know it. We feel it. We, we feel something different. The other word, the second word, is the word inspire. We've had inspirational experiences. You've had an experience somewhere where someone inspired you and, and it, it raised something up inside of you. It made you want to come back. And the last word is the word equip. I almost made it to the end without misspelling. The word equip. Now, we're going to get to these three words in a second. I'm going to show them to you in Acts chapter 2. Now, here's the context of where we're going today. When you read through the New Testament, when you get to the beginning of, of the Gospels, you open your Bibles and there's Matthew. That's the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, and those four Gospels, each of them tell the story of Jesus' life, teaching, death, and resurrection. And they tell it from different perspectives. They, each one of them have a different audience that they're writing to. Matthew, when he wrote his Gospel, was writing particularly to a Jewish audience. So he emphasizes that Jesus is the King. So as you read through the book of Matthew, there's more about the Kingdom of God in the Gospel of Matthew than any of the other Gospels. When you get to Luke, Luke is writing primarily to a Greek audience. So he has all kinds of evidence about who Jesus is. 
And so his, his gospel is way more detailed. When you read through the gospel of Luke, there are so many details within it because Luke is a doctor. And so his goal is to show the details unequivocally to a Roman Greek audience that Jesus is who he says he is. When you read Mark, Mark basically skips to the last week of Jesus's life. Like Mark can't get to the cross and resurrection fast enough. But each one is written differently and they're showing us who Jesus is, what he said, what he taught, the miracles that he performed. And then you get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts was also written by Luke. And Luke, what he does in the book of Acts is he shows us, when you take these four gospels, he shows us in the book of Acts what the church did with everything Jesus said. The whole book of Acts is to simply show us, as followers of Jesus, this is how we apply the teachings of Jesus in our culture, in our churches, in our homes. This is what it looks like within relationships. And so if you remember last week, as we started this series, we looked at the end of Matthew, where Jesus brings his disciples together on a hillside before he returns to heaven. And he says, this, this is the command that he gives them. This is the, the, what many Christians call the great commission of sending them out. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so then, as time goes on, the church is started. And the question then for us is, okay, well, what did they do with this? How did they apply this? And so in Acts chapter one, we see, we're told that the Holy Spirit comes onto the disciples. Now, here's what's amazing about it. Jesus tells them to go into all the world. And do you know what they do first? They go into a room and lock the door. Okay, so this is what they do. So this, this is what I love about the Bible. Okay, remember last week we talked about how Jesus stands in front of his disciples and says they all worshiped him, but yet some doubted. I love that Jesus gave the great commission to those who are doubting. Then these same people, they go, they're afraid for their lives. They're afraid. They go and lock the door. And yet the spirit of God comes upon them. Now, here's the thing. So many of us think, I can't do this or that for God. I, you know, I, I have this sin in my life. I have this problem in my life. You know, I, I've got to clean this mess up, and then I can do something. I'm afraid. I really don't want to talk to people about Jesus because I'm kind of afraid. If that's you, it's exactly where the church started in Acts 1. It's exactly where it started. And we're told that the Holy Spirit comes on the men and the women, and they perform signs, they speak in tongues, and the word goes out. But here's how it starts in Acts 2. Peter then goes into Jerusalem, and he stands up and preaches the first sermon. And here's what I love about this. It tells us in verse 41 that those who accepted the message were baptized, and that day 3,000 people were added to them. Now, here's what I love about the fact that this happened, and Peter preached the sermon. If you don't know who Peter is, Peter's one of my favorite people in the Bible for this reason. Peter had a habit of always saying the wrong thing. And always, I mean, he just, he messed up. Like there's more, it seems to be more times that Peter messed up than got it right. Months before this moment, months before this moment, Peter is standing in a courtyard while Jesus is arrested and on trial. And the people in that courtyard look at Peter and says, hey, don't you know Jesus? And he goes, I don't know Jesus. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure like you came in with him. I'm pretty sure you know, Je he goes, I don't know Jesus. They said, no, like, you, you sound like him. You, like, you, you look like you're from Galilee. 
And it says that he gets agitated and angry and yells, I don't know Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. Months later, Peter stands up, preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. Don't ever, ever think God is done with you. Don't ever think that there's something in my past that means God can't use me. Don't ever think this part of my life, this part of my family is too broken for God to do anything. None of the other disciples denied Jesus. Just Peter. Peter's the one who preaches. I love that Luke includes that. And and, and here's the thing. And he tells us that he stands up and preaches. And 3,000 people are saved. This is where the church began. The church began and exists for people who don't yet know Jesus. And churches forget this. We, we forget, we have this idea the church is supposed to be this holy huddle where we're protected, where we kind of come in and, and like we kind of keep the world out there. And we like get our canned goods and like guns and stuff. And like we're all ready for like the end of the world. Like that's not what the church is. The church is the people of God sent out. That's the church. And we tell our volunteers Our volunteer teams all the time, every Sunday we say this, every Sunday is someone's first Sunday here. Every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday at church. Now, I want you to think back, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think back to the first time that you went to church. And I want you to think about how weird church can feel sometimes. Like, just think about it. Like, most of us do not like to walk into a place where we don't know anybody. Now, some of us, you're like the big extrovert. You're the life of the party. I mean, you, like for you, your love language is places where you don't know a soul. Like that's your love language. You're just so excited about that. But for the other 99% of the normal people, okay, it's weird to walk into a place where you don't know anybody. I told you last week about an experience of bringing a friend of mine to church in Tucson. And he called me up and he's like, hey, like, what do I need to know? Like, you know, like, what are the rules? Like, where do I go? Like, people just don't know the rules. And so here's, here's what we do. You need to understand this about our church. This is why we try to be really clear about things at our church. This is why we have signs up. We want people to know where things are. So we try to be as clear about what we're doing. You'll notice in our welcome, we'll, we'll tell you how long the service is gonna be. Do you know why? Because guests wanna know how long the service is gonna be. They wanna know how long am I gonna be? You probably wanna know how long you're gonna be sitting here. So we tell you, it's gonna be this long. We're gonna sing some songs. We're gonna open up the Bible. We're gonna do communion together. We wanna explain it. Why? Because church is kind of weird. I mean, where else outside of church and like a concert do you stand and sing with people? That's an odd experience. And so we want to remind ourselves, we never want to forget that every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday at our church. And that's easy to forget. And do you know what? Not every church believes that it's someone's first Sunday. And not every church cares that it's somebody's first Sunday. But the church started by realizing that it is every, that is someone's first Sunday. And so this is where we get our first word, endear. Endear. Here's how we define that. We want to endear ourselves to our community, okay? We want the people around us to know that we're here as a church, that they're happy that we're here, and they're better off because we're here. Now, here's the thing about this phrase. Some people in our community have no idea where we are. Like, as I've met people over the last 18 months, and said, hey, you know, I'm the pastor of Community Covenant. People are like, where, where's Community Covenant? 
I'm like, oh, it's back this road. They're like, oh, like in the woods. Yes, in the woods with the frontiersmen and the axes in the woods. So, but then here's the other thing too. I don't want you to miss this phrase. We want our community to be better off because we're here. And we want them to be happy that we're here. Do you know what? Not every community in America is happy that a church is in it. Not every community is happy. And so this is why you may have heard Noah when he stood up here and we talked about the trunk or treat. Did you hear him say, we want to endear our community to us? So we do things. We go out into the community so that we endear ourselves to the community. This is where it starts, with a heart for understanding that the community around us does not yet know Jesus and needs them. And so then he tells us, after 3,000 people joined the church, this is what they do in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. That word devoted means constant, giving over to, It was a large part of what they did. They devoted themselves to what the apostles taught. Now, the apostles, the apostles are the people who saw the risen Jesus. That's who the apostles were. And they listened to their teaching. They were devoted to fellowship, to community, to each other. Fellowship means participating together, sharing things together, sharing meals. This is not just a surface-level friendship. Our world, our culture is filled with transient relationships that just come and go. But the church, the community of God is supposed to be deep. Now, that doesn't mean that you're deep with everybody. If you follow the life of Jesus, what did he do? He had, he had the crowd of people. He had the 70 plus disciples that he sent out, his followers. He had the 12 that he hung out with. But there were three that he got really close to. There were three that he got really close to. So there needs to be somebody, there should be somebody in your life, there should be another follower of Jesus that knows your story, your wounds, your scars, and walks with you. That's what that deep community means. I love what Pastor Gordon McDonald said. He says, none of us can ever be strong in the Christian life without intentional participation in a smaller group of people. None of us can ever be strong in the Christian life without intentional participation in a smaller group of people. Because this church, they didn't gather 3,000 people in somebody's home. They gathered in smaller groups. They fellowshiped together. They broke bread. And breaking bread is not just communion. It was meals. They sat around tables. I think one of the biggest opportunities in our culture to share the message of Jesus is a table. It's a table. It's to sit across the table from somebody to engage their story. Here's what happens. Do you know what happens? Do you know what happens across the table? You don't eat meals with everybody. You eat meals with people you're close to? Something happens over food? Do you ever notice that you have conversations over a meal that you don't have over other things? There's something about sitting at a table. And Jesus knew this. He sat across thousands of tables in the Gospels. In fact, he made all the religious people really mad about it because he sat with the wrong people. But they broke bread together, eating meals. I think meals are one of the greatest tools for the Gospel. Where you slow down, put your phone down, you engage somebody's story, you listen to them. They were devoted. See, we'll read this verse and we're like, oh, they were devoted to teaching. No, they were devoted to teaching, to community, to meals, and to prayer. They were devoted to all those things. 
They weren't just devoted to teaching. They weren't just devoted to church. So here's kind of an evaluation question for you. Are you as devoted to prayer and meals as you are to your spiritual growth? Because this first church held it together. It, it, those were the things they were devoted to. They didn't just devote themselves to showing up on a Sunday morning. They also devoted themselves to community, to relationships, to meals, and to prayer. They were totally dependent on God. This comes into our third word, equip. See, equipping doesn't just happen through training. Equipping people does not just happen through knowledge and giving of information. Do you know how I know? Because you're, you're being mentored by people in your life. Where does that happen? That happens over a table. That happens in activities. As you sit across the table from somebody and say, hey, like, tell me about this. Like, how do I, how do I grow in this? Like, how do you do this? Like, and so our goal, the reason we use the word equip is because we want to equip our church to the life God has called them to and created them for. Okay? One of the things that we want to do as a church, one of the things that I think is part of a life-giving church is to equip everybody who walks through our doors and into one of our groups to live the life God has called them to and created them for. Here's the reality. Everybody who walks in on a Sunday morning, everybody who walks into one of your groups, anytime that you interact with somebody at school, work, or in your neighborhood, they are looking for hope and life. They may come in and say, I'm just trying to figure out how to get, just like survive my marriage. They're looking for hope. I'm trying to figure out like, how do I find meaning and purpose in my life? They're looking for hope. They're looking, whether they realize it or not, they are looking for the life God has created them for and called them to. And so then we're told that what happens as they do these things, okay, as they devote themselves to teaching, to community, to prayer, and, 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 to, and to meals, we're told that everyone was filled with awe. And many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe. That word awe carries this idea to be captured by something, to be wrapped up. It's that moment. I mean, think to like a beautiful sunset. Like, have you ever noticed? Like, I remember we were on vacation one time. We're standing, our kids are there, and we're on the west coast of California, and we're standing up on one of those mountains there at Laguna, like on the hills and the coast, and it's just this beautiful sunset. And I'm like just taking it in, and then my kids are like, I'm bored. Like, and it broke up like the all, like I was captured by this. And like, I actually didn't hear them say something for a minute because I was just like so like, I couldn't say anything. I was just blown away by the beauty of this. Like that moment when you're standing on top of a mountain and you just like breathe in the air. That's all, you're captured by it. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a church or spiritual experience where you couldn't speak because of how incredible it was? This church did. And I wonder if part of the reason that it doesn't happen for us is because we don't expect it to happen for us. We don't expect it. We do our best to control everything. We, don't, we want to be in control of everything. We, we don't expect, we don't expect God to move. Too often in life, we don't expect God to speak. We don't expect God to heal. We don't expect God to mend people's marriages. We don't, we don't expect God to move in our lives. I mean, think about it. When, when you walked in here this morning, did you, ex did you expect that God would do something? 
Or did you walk in and be like, well, like it's 9.30, we're supposed to be at church, it's Sunday, it's raining, there's nothing else to do, so. Oftentimes, we'll open up our Bible in the morning, and, and we got our cup of coffee, and we're like, well, you know what, this is just the next thing on my calendar, I gotta check this off. Good Christians read their Bible before the sun comes up, so I gotta do that. And, and we don't expect God to speak. We don't expect God to speak. So you right now, you, you're praying prayers, but, but do you expect that God will move in those? See, often, I'll just speak for myself. Many times, I do not expect God to move and do something because I'm trying to protect myself from being disappointed. But in that, what I'm doing is I'm actually just not involving God in it. See, God knows my heart when I pray for something. He knows if I'm expecting him to do anything. He knows if I'm expecting him to answer. And this isn't like some kind of name it and claim it thing. This isn't about controlling God or like some kind of power move. But I do believe that there is a connection to our expectation and our experience. There is a line between those things. It's just like when you decide that you wanna buy a, a black truck, what do you start to see? Everyone's got a black truck. You're like, man, they're everywhere. How, do, how does everyone have a black truck? They have my truck. You start to see it everywhere. This church, because Jesus looked at them and said, I am sending the spirit of God to live in you and work through you, they believed it. They believed it. When we celebrate baptism today, when you took the step of following Jesus, that moment you became alive to the spirit of God and the spirit of God entered into you and lives in you. So when Jesus says, I have given all power to you to go and be my witnesses, he is not just saying that to 11 people standing on the side of a mountain, he is also saying that to you. He gave you that power. And the disciples, the first disciples, the first church believed that God lived in them. So when they opened up their Bible, when they gathered together, when they sat around tables, they expected that something would happen. They expected it through their fear and everything. And so let me ask you this. Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting here and you're, and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're like, I don't know, does God really speak? Well, let me ask you this. Do you have anything in your life right now that you're like, man, I could really use some help? I could really use a miracle? I've talked to countless friends who have told me one of the ways they moved into starting to follow Jesus is they just said, God, if you're real, speak to me and show me. So this week, when you go to your group and you sit around a table, do you expect that God will meet you in that moment? Tomorrow morning, when you open up your Bible, do you expect that God will speak to you? That his word is living and active and that he'll move? The prayer that you're praying right now, do you expect that God will answer? Do you trust that he'll answer? To most of us, the reason I think that we don't see God move the way that this church sees God move is we just don't expect God to. I think God just walks around the world looking for people who expect him to move, who believe he's gonna do something. And they devote themselves to that because they devoted themselves to prayer. So they devoted, that devotion was connected to their experience with God. Then all the believers, verse 44, were together, held everything in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to, to all as any had need. So they're gathering together. They're committed to teaching meals, prayer. They're seeing God move. They hold everything in common, which carries this idea that they have a unified focused mission, but also that they're taking care of each other. 
that they're meeting each other's needs when they see somebody who has a financial need or an emotional need, they're, they're stepping in. They're asking, how can I help? How can I serve? They're stepping into that gap. They're saying no one walks this, this road alone. They step in as best they can. Here's where we get our next word, inspire. This word inspire carries this idea that we want to, in our services, in the events that we do, in our small groups, that we want to create experiences. We want to inspire experiences where people say, I'm glad I came and I can't wait to come back. I mean, think about this for a moment. How many people go to church and go, man, I'm really glad I went there? That's one of our goals. And they want to come back. When your kids get in the car, one of our goals is for them to say, I can't wait to come back. That was the best hour of the week. It's one of the goals. Now, you might think, well, that, that just, I don't know, if, is, that, is that really biblical? Yes, it's absolutely biblical. All these people were inspired to come back. Why? Because they saw a couple of things happen. They saw, one, tangible things that the church could actually have a hand in and control. Things like taking care of each other, teaching, praying together, loving each other, sharing meals together. Those are all tangible things. Just like when you go to a restaurant, there are tangible things that the restaurant can do to make you want to come back. They can get your order right. Small thing, but they could do it. They can fill up your water cup. They can smile. Hey, it's great to see you. They could say something like, can't wait to see you next time. Have a great week. Those are tangible things. There's intangible things too. At a restaurant, have you ever like left a restaurant and you're just like, I don't know, like, I just didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? I don't know. Like, I just didn't like it. That's the intangible thing. That's the thing that like you can't name. But then there's also those moments where you're like, man, that was, am that was amazing. What was so great about it? I don't know. But like, it was, it just was. That's the intangible thing in a church. When people walk out and they're like, there was something, there was something about that. What was it? I don't know. Like a follower of Jesus, we're like, it was God. That's what it was. It was the Spirit of God. But to somebody who doesn't know, they're like, I, I don't know, but there was, there was something different there. Like I felt something different. Like, I mean, I mean, think, one of the things that I've grown to appreciate about New England is that you don't have to talk to everybody. It's not as friendly as like the Midwest in that way, which I really appreciate as an introvert. Like people leave me alone. But, but, do you, but, but notice, like, if you smile at people, if you say hi, if it, not like push your way in and be like, hey, 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 like let's be like really close buddies. Like, but you're like, hey, smile. That changes things. I mean, what a simple opportunity when people walk in through the doors of our church. Be like, hey, it's great to see you. Do you know that almost no one in your life ever says it's great to see you? Did you realize that? Think back to this past week. How many people said to you, it's great to see you? Think about the message that can be communicated to somebody who walks through our doors, who drug themselves to church, and we said, hey, it's great to see you, with a smile. That's a tangible thing that can lead to an intangible thing, that can inspire somebody to want to come back, that says, I'm glad I came. And in verse 46, we're told again, every day, church is not something you do once a week, every day. Being a follower of Jesus is not something you do at 9.30 on Sunday morning. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. 
praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They gathered every day. They were the church together. And I love what Luke tells us in verse 47. This is an incredible verse. They enjoyed favor with all the people. I'm really thankful that this church is part of our community. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we'll read the Bible, and we're like, yeah, but the, but the world of the Bible was just so different than our culture today. They didn't have iPhones. That's true. But do you know what, when, when the New Testament was, was written, do you, do you know what the world and the culture was like? Exactly like our world. It, exactly. The Roman Empire was just as sexualized as our culture, was just as open to religious worship as our culture. In fact, the Roman Empire said, hey, like, we really don't care who you worship as long as you just give your money to the emperor. So in the New Testament, when it says that they had favor with all the people, that means they had favor with all the people. I want you to imagine for a moment, just imagine our culture, our community, our state, being thankful for the church. Now, here's the thing. Here, here's what I bet some of you just thought. That'll be the day. Could our expectation of what God can do be connected to what we'll experience God doing? Maybe. If we expect and ask and trust that God can make a community glad a church is there, might we experience that. See, what Luke tells us is, I don't know that they necessarily set out for this. They just did all of these things, and this was the favor that they experienced. And I love what historian Alan Kreider said. He said, the sources, the historical sources rarely indicate that the early Christians grew in number because they won arguments. Can't argue anyone into heaven. Instead, they grew because their habitual behavior was distinctive and intriguing. When challenged about their ideas, Christians pointed to their actions. They believed that their habits, their embodied behavior was eloquent. Their behavior said what they believed. It was an enactment of their message. Because make no mistake, your behavior and my behavior communicates exactly what we believe to the world around us. We tell people every day what we believe about everything. This church throughout history, the church, when the culture ran out, the church ran in. When there was a need, the church stepped in. This is why, like, for, for part of our Christmas offering, one of the ways we live out endearing in our community is through our Christmas offering. This is why we partner with different organizations. Because we want to be about what God is doing around our community. We want to be about lives, not only being saved by the gospel, but being made whole through the message of Jesus. This is why we partner with seeing churches getting planted. This is why we partner with the Harmony Pregnancy Center, why we're partnering with Teen Challenge in Haiti, because we want to see lives changed. This is why we give to things uh, like, like the student scholarships in our Christmas offering, because we want to see lives changed. This is why we do the trunk or tree, why we do angel tree, why we do serve Sunday, why we cancel an entire Sunday of services to go out and serve our community. Not to get a thank you, no. But we want people to know we're here. 
I love that day when we, on Surf Sunday, and we're going to do it again next spring, when, when we went out and people were like, hey, what is, what's all the blue shirts for? I went into a gas station. They're like, you're like the sixth blue shirt I saw today. Like, what is, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just out to serve in our community. I had one guy look at me, are you getting paid? Well, no. Like, we're serving the community. Just those small things. Being a good neighbor in your neighborhood. Being a kind neighbor. Being a kind boss. Those are ways you endear people to you. So let me bring this all together. Last week we said that we exist as a church to help people to take their next step with God. We believe and expect that God will move in people's lives. We believe that everybody that walks through the door of our church, everyone that we encounter has a next step with God. No matter how, where you are in your spiritual journey, no matter whether or not you believe in Jesus, we believe that there is a next step for you along the spiritual pathway. But we do that through three things. As a church, to be a life-giving church, we endear our community to us so that they know we're here, that they're happy that we're here, and they're better off because we're here. Imagine, imagine a community saying, we are better off because Community Covenant is here. And then we inspire people. We inspire people by creating experiences that cause people to say, I'm glad I came and can't wait to come back. I'm glad I came. I'm glad I showed up at that. And then in that we equip people, we equip our church to live the life God has called them to and created them for. These are the three things that I think make up a life-giving church. These are the three things that I hope we're known for. If something doesn't fit into these things, if something doesn't help somebody to take their next step with God and fit into one of these things, we're not going to do it as a church. That's our decision-making grid as a church. We're looking for ways. How do we endear ourselves? How do we inspire people? And how do we equip people? And part of that, as we're going to celebrate today, is baptisms. Now, baptisms, if you, maybe you're new to our church, maybe you came because it's baptisms, if your family and friends and came, we're just so glad you came to celebrate with us. Because when Peter stood up and preached and they said, what, is, what do we do? He says, you repent, believe, be baptized. So baptism is the step, the public declaration of your faith. It is that moment of saying, this is what God has done in me. This is how God has changed me. Baptism doesn't save you. Peter said, repent, believe, be baptized. It is that next step in that journey. It's not the finish line. You don't get baptized when you're perfect, when you have your act together. You get baptized because your life has been changed by Jesus and you want to go public with it. And so we're gonna celebrate that. And so here's how we do baptism here at our church. Baptism is a celebration. It's not a quiet celebration. We're gonna clap, we're gonna cheer. We're gonna celebrate, we're gonna sing songs together as we do this because we are celebrating that the people who are being baptized were once dead in their sins and are now alive in Christ, okay? And so one of the things as well, you've heard me talk about how important intergenerational relationships are, how important it is to, to be around kids and empty nesters and everything in between. So what's gonna happen is I'm gonna pray and we're gonna start to sing. But while we sing that first song, if you have a child and community kids right now, I need you to go get them and bring them up to be part of it so that way they get to see it, so that way our volunteers get to see it, because here's the thing, we're gonna have a couple of kids and students get baptized. And, and, and part, of, part of that is not only what you as a church do in terms of your generosity to kids and students, but also the people who serve on those teams. So we want them to see what's going on. We want them to celebrate in the lives that are being changed. And so I'm gonna pray together and then we'll, we'll continue. So Father, I thank you that you show us how to follow after you. 
And God, I pray, as we have started this series, we are asking, we are expecting that you will move in our community. God, we want to be a life-giving church, and we know that the only way to be a life-giving church is through the power of your spirit. And so, God, we are asking, we are pleading, we want to bring life to our community, to the people around us. We want to see lives changed. We want to see people made new. We want to see people in addictions freed and chains broken and hearts mended. And so, God, as we celebrate today, we are just excited about the lives that have been changed in our church in this last season as we celebrate baptism. And so, God, I thank you for, for their courage to go public with their faith. I pray that you would protect them as they take their steps of following you. We know that the enemy is out to get those who take all of those steps. And so, God, we pray for protection in the lives of those people who are getting baptized today. In your name, amen.